when we were little children, we used to dress up and pretend to be other people. And this gave us the space in the mind to conceive of ourselves as becoming like them. And it gave us a sense, uh, a feeling of being uplifted in having role models that we uh, admired. And so here in monastic training, we look at the Buddha, the Bodhisattvas, the Arhats, all the great beings. We look at all the monastics from many countries that have existed over 25 or 26 centuries. We look at their example of how they lived and take it as a role model and feel inspired by it. So looking at the noble beings and feeling inspired creates a very virtuous state of mind. Looking at the noble beings and comparing ourselves to them and feeling like we'll never get there is an afflicted state of mind, something to be abandoned on the path. So this doesn't mean that we idolize the noble ones. But we really take their example as something to model ourselves on. Feeling inspired and knowing that one day we will indeed become like them. So we're going to take the monastics throughout history as our model. And we're also especially taking the bodhisattvas as our model. And so generating both renunciation of samsara and the bodhicitta in order to benefit all beings. So generate those motivations. Today, I thought that I would uh, start going through part of the second uh, sutra in the long discourses, or the Diga Nikaya. So the second sutra, it's called the fruit of the homeless life. So I'm not going to go through the the whole thing, but just kind of pick out some bits of it. But um, I just want to give you the story, because, you know, each of the sutras uh, was spoken in a time and a place, and there's a whole story behind it. So this one, uh, the Buddha was at uh, Rajagriva in um, Jivaka's uh, mango grove. Jivaka was 
the royal was the Buddhist physician and the physician for all the sangha, and so um, the Buddha was dwelling there with 1,250 monks, and uh, King Ajatasattu of uh, Magadha. It says, having gone up to the roof of his palace, was seen there surrounded by his ministers on the 15th fast day. So it was on the full moon. And so as was the custom in ancient India, uh, people wanted to go visit, um, you know, one of the groups of holy beings and do something special. You know, tomorrow's the new moon. We'll take precepts in ancient India. They would do similar kinds of things on new and full moon. Uh, King Ajatasattu is a very interesting character. He is the son of King Bimbisara, who was one of the um, Buddha's great devotees. And Ajatasattu um, killed his father to take over the throne. Uh, Later on, his son killed him to take over the throne. And then his son's son killed his son to take over the throne. So, interesting story here. So, uh, and it, and actually, you know how they, they always talk about, uh, the Tibetans always give this example of a teaching that is not to be taken literally at where the Buddha said, kill your father and your mother. Well, that teaching was given to King Ajatasattu because he felt so terrible after he killed his father that he was just, you know, completely enveloped in his remorse and his grief. And so the Buddha said, it, you know, killing your mother and father is good. That, of course, the Buddha didn't mean that literally. He meant the uh, mother and father of samsara. In other words, cra- sometimes it's said craving and grasping, and sometimes craving and becoming. Okay, that was a tangent. Let's get back. So the king... He wants to go out and and talk to one of the holy beings. And so um, his ministers start uh, suggesting all these different holy beings. And King Ajatasattu just kind of sits there silently. He doesn't criticize, but not very entertained by the whole thing. And then finally, um, he uh, I think he asked Jivaka, you know, himself. And Jivaka suggests that he uh, goes to visit the Buddha. If you want to visit somebody inspiring and receive a teaching, uh, go to the Buddha. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's what Ajatasattu did. So it's kind of an interesting, you get, get a feeling of kind of the people that Buddha came up against, against all different sorts of people. I mean, beggars and kings. and So the... Um, uh, Jivaka, after the king said okay, had 500 she-elephants made ready, and for the king, the royal tusker. Then he reported, Sire, the riding elephants are ready. Now is the time to do as your majesty wishes. And King Ajatasattu, having placed his wives each on one of the 500 she-elephants, mounted the royal tusker and proceeded in royal state, accompanied by torchbearers from Rajagaha, towards Jivaka's mango grove. You have the visualization? You know? I mean, this was a big deal here. Okay. When he got to the mango grove, 
He felt fear and terror, and his hair stood on end. And feeling this fear and the rising of the hairs, the king said to Jivaka, My friend Jivaka, are you not deceiving me? You are not tricking me? You are not delivering me up to an enemy? How is it that from this great number of 1,250 monks, not a sneeze, a cough, or a shout is to be heard? So just the peace of the Sangha terrified Ajahnasattu, freaked him out, you know, how come they're all so quiet? And uh, Sojivaka had to explain, you know, no, I'm not delivering you up to the enemy. So Ajahnasattu got off of his elephant, walked into the mango grove, and um, then he went up to the Buddha. He uh, stood to one side, and standing there to one side, the king observed how the order of monks continued in silence like a clear lake. And he exclaimed, If only Prince Udayabada were, were possessed of such calm as this order of monks. That prince was his son, the one who later killed him. So like any father, he's saying, How come my kid can't sit still and be peaceful? Like these monks, he was really impressed. Um... And then uh, the king bowed down to the Buddha and he saluted the order of monks. And with joined hands, um, he sat down on one side and said to the Buddha, I would ask you something if the Lord would dine to answer me. And the Buddha said, go ahead. And so Ajatasattu posed this question and he said, there's all these different craftsmen and different people and so many different people with different uh, occupations. And uh, they develop their skills and they feel good about themselves from developing their skills. Um, they, they have a career. They earn an income from their, for their family. Um, their family is pleased with what they're doing. Society uh, is pleased with the, what they're doing. They even have some extra money to make offerings to Brahmins and monastics. Uh, and so in that way, they're assuring themselves of a good rebirth through practicing generosity. Uh, and so, you know, the king explains that. And then he said, uh, Can you, Lord, point to such re- reward visible here and now as a fruit of the homeless life? So he went through and described all the benefits you get as living as a layperson. Yeah. And then says, well, what about for the monastics, somebody who has left the householder life and entered the homeless life? What are the fruits of the practice here and now? And so, good question, isn't it? You know, kind of, what am I going to get out of this? You know, what do you get out of it by ordaining? And um, and so the, before the Buddha answered this question directly, he asked the king, well, have you asked this question to some of the other ascetics and Brahmins? And the king said, yes. And Buddha asked him, well, what did they say? 
how do they answer this question? And so I'll just kind of give you some summaries of what their answers were. Uh, it's quite interesting because it, it gives you some idea of uh, the kind of philosophies people adhered to during the, that time. And incidentally, you know, many people nowadays adhere to very much the same philosophies. Okay, so King Ajatasattu had previously gone to one of the uh, great ascetics who was uh, Paranakasapa and asked him, what are the fruits of the homeless life? And Paranakasapa said that if you kill or steal or have unwise sexual behavior, there's no negative karma created. Uh, and if you give and you keep ethical behavior, there's no merit or positive potential um, created. Okay, so kind of completely going against the Buddha's idea of, of uh, karma. And so when he was asked about the uh, present fruits of the homeless life, that's what Paranakasapa said. It was kind of like, is described as non-action. In other words, nothing comes of whatever you do. Yeah. Okay. So you can see how that's completely wrong view. I mean, he's saying that this is this whole thing. There's no good. There's no bad. Do whatever you want. Okay. So that's exactly his view. Yeah. There's no such thing as karma. You don't experience any kind of result of it. So just enjoy. You know. Okay, that's what he said. And Ajatasattu said, you know, I wasn't real happy with, with that answer, but I don't like to criticize other people, so I just nodded and then left. And then another time he went to another one of the ascetics, who was Makali Gosala. And he said um, that there are no causes and conditions for sentient beings' defilements. They're, they, they're defiled without causes and conditions. So there's no, uh, oneself doesn't have any power, others don't have any power or any control. Um, sentient beings experience fixed, um, fix, the fixed course of pleasure and pain in the six realms. Okay, so very much a, a view of predetermination. Okay? There's no causes and conditions for the defilements. There's no causes and conditions for what happened to you. Uh, discipline and practice doesn't purify negative karma, uh, but rather it's like a ball of string. You throw it out and it just rolls until the string runs out. And so sentient beings, doesn't matter if you are a fool or you're a wise person, you just... Uh, you know, experience pleasure and pain in a very predetermined way in samsara until somehow the string runs out. Okay? So very much a view of predetermination. Yeah? Also a wrong view. Yeah, Jadasattu nodded and left that one. Okay? He went to the third one, who was a Jita Kasalakambali. And, uh, he said that uh, his view was that there's no result of good and bad deeds. Okay? There's no this world and there's no other world. In other words, no rebirth. There's no father, there's no mother, there's no Brahmins, there's no ascetics. Um, 
that human beings are simply composed of the four elements, you know, earth, water, fire, air, and when they die, they just revert to the four elements, that's all. So there's no one, there's no person who exists after death, there's no rebirth. So this is the view of, um, what do you call it, the, not scientific determinism, uh, scientific reductionism, yeah? So the scientists are very reductionist, yeah, there's no, there's no rebirth, after death the body just decays and goes back to nature and there's nothing. Basta finito. So that, that was uh, Ajita Kasalakambi's view. Okay. Yeah, and then King Ajatasattu. You see, some of these views people hold nowadays too, don't they? I mean, this other one, there's no cause and effect for defilements of sentient beings. You live a predetermined life. Lots of people believe that. Okay, and this first one of, you know, there's, you know, killing isn't negative, virtue isn't positive. Yeah, lots of people, you know, kind of see that too. Okay, so then then the fourth one that, that the king went to was Pakuda Kakayana. Okay, and he said that there are seven things which are not produced, which don't cause uh, pain and pleasure or obstruct each other. So the earth body, fire body, water body, and uh, air body, pleasure, pain, and life principle. Okay, so those are, don't, aren't produced, they go, don't cause pleasure or pain or obstruct each other. Um, there's neither a slain or a slayer, a speaker or a listener. If um, somebody cuts off somebody else's head, he's not killing him. He's just inserting the blade in the intervening spaces between those seven bodies. Okay? So this is kind of a view of there's no consciousness at all. There's just the body. It's kind of all illusion. And, you, you know, there's so much space here in the neck between the atoms that you're just inserting your sword right between that. You're not killing a person when you cut off their head. Okay? <laughs> yeah, pretty weird views. People believe pretty weird things, don't they? Yeah? Okay, then uh, then the king went to uh, Nigantha Nataputa, who was uh, Mahavira, the leader of the Jains. Okay, and he spoke in this kind of mumbo-jumbo, saying, Nigatha is bound by four restraints. He is curved by all curbs, enclosed by all curbs, cleared by all curbs, and claimed by all curbs. Very clear, right? <laughs> Okay, so this kind of mumbo-jumbo. Go to some of the New Age things. Use, you know, mumbo-jumbo or some of the things in some of the other religions. Just mumbo-jumbo, isn't it? Yeah, how people explain things. So, same thing. Then they went to the sixth one, who was uh, Sanjaya Balataputa. And he said... He also spoke in mumbo-jumbo. He said, if I think there were rebirth, I would say so, but I don't think so. 
I don't say it is so, and I don't say it's otherwise. I don't say it isn't, and I don't not say it isn't. It is not. Okay? So somebody who's equivocating, who doesn't want to make a clear statement, who's just leading you around in circles, and this is, you know, this is kind of like the person, yeah, if I believe that, I'd say so, but I'm not saying that, but I'm not saying otherwise. And I don't believe this, and I don't believe that. And uh, I'm not saying this, and I'm not saying that. I mean, just, just garbage, okay? Just to kind of distract people and make yourself appear like you're brilliant. Okay, so um, that was what that one said. So Chanasatu, I think he was happy when Jivaka, uh, you know, encouraged him to go visit the Buddha. So the Buddha didn't, again, you know, uh, he had... Um, Ajahn says to explain all this. And then the Buddha asked him. Uh, he didn't answer the question directly. He put it back. He asked the, you know, the asker question. And he said to the king, you know, if uh, there were a slave who, looking at his own situation, said, you know, I'm a slave. I suffer so much. I labor for the king. Here's the king. He has so much power, so much you know, luxury in his life. You know, it must be through his creating good karma and me creating bad karma. What if, um, what if I renounced? What if I tried to put my mind stream, you know, my life and my mind in a good direction and create some good karma? And, uh, and so that slave went and he took vows and he lived uh, by restraining his body, speech, and mind. You know, so he was, you know, being a, a good monastic and he generated some calm and contentment and so on in his life. So the Buddha said, in this case, if you came to know that one of your slaves had done that, would you go and bring him back and make him be a slave again? And uh, the king said, no, you know, he, he's somebody who's worthy of honor. Instead, I would offer him the four requisites, food, clothing, medicine, and shelter, and I would protect him and enable him to continue his practice. So the Buddha said, well, isn't that one benefit here and now of the holy life, of the homeless life, is, you know, that kind of thing happens? So, um, yeah. So he's, he's leading the king into understanding this. Okay. And so then he asked the same thing. If there were somebody who was a farmer, a householder, uh, a steward of an, of a, an estate, in, this, in the same situation, you know, who thought, well, the king has so much luxury because he created good karma, Maybe I should do something to improve my lot by creating some good karma. And so uh, he ordains, he dwells in solitude, uh, and, you know, he becomes peaceful with a restrained body, speech, and mind. Ask the king again, would you make this steward, this farmer, you know, come back? And again, the king said no. So again, he said, well, this is the fruit of the homeless life right now. Okay, so then Ajatasattva, he's very determined. He says, can you show me any other rewards 
visible here and now as a fruit of the homeless life that is more excellent and perfect than these. So then uh, the Buddha says, and I'm just going to read this here because this is one of the quote, quote, stock phrases that that comes in, in many sutras, and I find it quite inspiring. So he says, Your Majesty, it happens that a Tathagata rises in the world, an arhat, fully enlightened Buddha, endowed with wisdom and conduct, welfare, knower of the worlds, incomparable trainer of men to be trained, tamed, teacher of gods and humans, enlightened and blessed. This is actually the same praise, but a different translation that we said at the, at the beginning of teachings, okay? So that's where that prayer is coming from, yeah, right out of the sutras. So he, by, by having realized it by his own super-knowledge, proclaims this world with its devas, maras, and brahmas, its princes and people. He preaches the dharma, which is lovely in the beginning, lovely in the middle, lovely, lovely in its ending, in the spirit and in the letter, and displays the per- fully perfected and purified holy life. So talking about the arisal of a Tathagata in the world. So, you know, the kind of good fortune. I mean, these beings had tremendous fortune to meet Shakyamuni Buddha right there. And we have amazing fortune to be alive in a time when, you know, he appeared on this earth and the the teachings exist in a pure lineage. So So then the Buddha continues. This Dhamma is heard by a householder or a householder's uh, offspring, or one reborn in some family or other. Having heard this dharma, he gains faith in the Tathagata. Having gained this faith, he reflects, this household life is close and dusty. The homeless life is free as air. It is not easy living the household life, to live the fully perfected holy life, purified and polished like a conch shell. Suppose I were to shave off my hair and beard, don yellow robes, and go forth from the household life into homelessness. And after some time, he abandons his property, great, small or great, leaves his circle of relatives, small or great, shaves off his hair and beard, dons yellow robes, and goes forth into the homeless life. And having gone forth, he dwells restrained by the restraint of the the precepts, persisting in right behavior, seeing danger in the slightest faults, observing the commitments he has taken on regarding body, deed, and word, devoted to the skilled and purified life, perfected in ethical conduct, with the sense doors guarded, skilled in mindful awareness and content. So that's kind of an overview of what's going to come not next, because the Buddha is going to talk about what it what uh, it means to be perfected in in morality. Um, he's going to talk about the sense doors being well guarded, and then what it means to be skilled in mindful awareness and content. <clears throat> 